Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Florida closes a 16 and 17 losing season. Uh, if you're listening to this by now, you know the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is over. We record on Monday, so several days after Florida's Wednesday night loss at home to UCF. The Gators got off to a 9-2 lead in that game, Eric, and then uh, were outscored 65-40 to the rest of the way. It's really a pretty one-sided game, not particularly competitive. No, it, uh, it didn't have much of a – postseason feel i guess i i'm not going to say it was quite the same vibes as as the game um last year against xavier in the nit where yeah it just seemed like the gators had you know no interest in being there but it was was close i mean some of these players um didn't want to be there um quite frankly i mean there was guys that told me that they weren't going to go to the nit um I, you know about with a week and a half left in the season and uh to the point where i kind of had mentioned hey i don't know if the gators are going to play in the nit and then of course very quickly um todd golden said uh you know we're going to go and compete and that's something i really uh i really appreciate i i wish more teams had that that attitude um but it was just apparent with the product on the floor that that some players had 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 no interest in being there. Um, just uh, just unfortunately a, a, a frustrating end to to a frustrating season. And uh, of course uh, for the Gators, whose offense has been a struggle, to just end on one one final game of of, of really not getting getting a lot going. I think that was a little bit of a, a poetic ending, um, though at the same time just like the general lack of intensity. Whereas you know, I feel like that's that's one thing the Gators did not really lack for this year was was intensity and, and, and effort. Um, the the final look um, that that people are going to have of this team is is one of uh, of yeah guys that didn't really look like they they really wanted to be there. I was muted. Um, Florida's eighteen point uh, margin of victory is the second worst home loss uh, for the Gators. Um, this century, the worst came uh, in a blowout loss to UConn earlier in the season. So um, tough deal there. And this one, I think, you know, like the UConn game, not super high possessions. 67 is pretty average. Um, actually, it's one below the national average, I think. So a pretty average number of possessions for a game, Eric. Uh, I stand corrected. 67.5. So whatever. Round up, round down. I guess loss of mass, say round up. Um, so a pretty average number of possessions. Uh, Florida gets 49 points there, four of 24 from deep, which I think really a microcosm of this team's problems offensively all season. Um, Out-rebounded by 10. Um, and then, you know, you had this kind of interesting battle where, at least to me, you kind of saw why Taylor Hendricks is like a fringe lottery pick and why Riley Kugel is like a two-way deal guy. And like, I don't know if that's, you know, you can't make that assessment based on one game, but there is a little bit of a difference in quality between the two players. As good as Riley Kugel is, at least in my view. Um, I mean, obviously different positions, um, but uh, you saw that uh, there was, yes, um, there were some of those, the the plays uh, defensively that, that Hendricks had um, just again with his, with his length. Um, pretty impressive. Again, Kugel has had, uh, you know, started the season not great defensively, has looked better on that end, but um, hasn't always been like, like I can't think of the times he's made like kind of these like massive one play bursts of defensive excellence where like, you know, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just it is is what it is. But, uh, you know, Taylor Hendricks had a couple of those moments and then like sprinted down the other side of the floor and hit a three. And uh, so I think there's some, yeah, like I think that's a good way to put it. There's, it's um, Hendricks is someone who's looks like a lottery pick and is getting talked about like that. And uh, Riley Kugel is someone who is getting talked about as a, potentially a top 40 guy. I think Sam Bassini said on Twitter right yeah. after Riley, right after Riley Kugel. And I don't really have anything to say on it. Um, I, I, met, I think I might've mentioned I'm at the point where, I, I might be, I, I think I'm expecting Riley Kugel to go pro, but he had that pretty non-committal response in, in post-game press conference about um, whether, I forget exactly how the question is worded. I forget exactly what Riley Kugel said back, so I don't want to misquote anyone, but got it. Yeah, it was just gave a non-committal response. And then Sam Vecini was like, oh, this is like really interesting. There was some thought he might come back, but if he does go, you know, I think I might have him as a top 40 guy. Um, and yeah, so I, I'd say that's, uh, they, they, they both showed why. And I do think it was a bit of a rough game for, 
for Kugel, but again, he's been shouldering much of the offensive load for a month and a half for this team. Um, again, I don't know how interested he was in, in this one, but I think he was someone who was still playing for um, potentially a pro contract. So I, I don't think he lacked Freckford. Um, and you mentioned too, that, that nine to two run or start the Gators had to the game. Um, There's a, you know, big time shot making from, uh, from Riley Kugel there. So I do think he was, yeah. he was playing with some, some intensity there, but uh, yep. um, yeah, it was, it was actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's too bad that the outcome was what it was and the feel of the game was what it was, but it was, it was cool to see Taylor Hendricks play. Um, I think it was probably good for his, you know, potential lottery pick bid um, to, you know, get it done against the Gators. Not that the Gators are loaded with a bunch of, future NBA players, but still playing a high major opponent on the road and, and, and playing really well. Um, good for Hendricks, but uh, uh, that was um, like, you know, from a, if, if I had to say a, a neutral observer standpoint, that was probably the, uh, the most enjoyable part of that game was getting to watch, uh, getting to watch Hendricks and, 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 and see um, just exactly why he's getting talked about as a lottery pick. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I'm, it, it, I hope that I don't, I did not phrase any of that in a way to drag Riley. I was like, right. just little subtle distinctions about 20 draft spots, you know? And, and I think you've saw some of them and, you know, I watched like, I, I watched Isaiah Wong and, and have written about him and I've watched him a lot this season and I watched him just make impossible shots last night against Indiana. Um, and he can self-create and he can score at all three levels, Eric. And he's six, four and he is six, four. Um, cause Miami initially listed him at six, five and he corrected that, which you almost never see, uh, and was six, four in this year's media guide. He weighs about a buck 80. Um, whereas Kugel is two ten and much more solid. Um, so I'm not comparing them as like for like, but I think there was value to Isaiah Wong in extra college basketball. Um, and you know, Riley might be a guy that, there's not that value for because he has an NBA body. And also maybe he doesn't like school as much as Isaiah Wong likes school. And that's perfectly fine. But it is interesting to me just to see these kind of subtle differences and to see like a really advanced college scorer like Wong in the NCAA tournament, just, you know, maybe the best tough shot maker in college basketball and we saw flashes of Kugel making really tough shots this season and an offense that was not humming as Eric and I have mentioned a lot. And he did it again in that game. I mean, he was three of, he hit three of Florida's four, three pointers. Um, you know, if we really wanted to indict someone from like a draft standpoint, and he's another player that does get talked about still in NBA draft circles is Will Richard, just because Will Richard is such a good shooter but I mean, his shot was bothered by UCF. He could not take shots multiple times and opted to pass because UCF closed out well, or when he was on the perimeter, he was bothered by Johnny Dawkins's hard hedges, um, you know, just little things. So we'll see, will Richard come back to school and work on those? Might not get to see Riley Kugel work on the types of things that Isaiah Wong has gotten to work on, you know, being a little more secure with the basketball, understanding that just because you can make tough shots doesn't mean you always have to take tough shots uh, and becoming a little bit better a passer because Riley has good ideas, I think, as a passer. But, you know, you watch Riley at Kugel's ideas as a passer, Eric, and then I go to the NCAA tournament and watch, like, Keontae Johnson's ideas as a passer, like yesterday uh, against Kentucky, and then his ability to then execute those passes. And, you know, there are things Riley Kugel needs to work on, Will he get to work on him in the G League or at an NBA practice? Possibly. We'll see. Um, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be college, but who knows? Yeah. I, I Again, when I say that I think he's going to go, that's not something that's, that's sourced at all. I just um, see someone who has that uh, the kind of projected draft range where he is and just um, for, for guys that are projected to be somewhere in the 40th pick range um that probably means there's also enough teams interested in them that they could also go undrafted and and maybe pick their home a little bit just like recent history would be in favor of 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 suggesting that that those guys go to the league it's not like it has really nothing to do with any sources or anything to know about his personality just like guys that are projected in that range more of them go than than don't so it'll be interesting to see for sure and uh again i i know that uh Everyone's looking at the portal right now and for good reason. Um, but if um, the staff was able to bring back Kugel, like that would be probably more exciting to me than 
99% of, of, of players in the portal. So oh, sure. uh, that was, so, so I know we've had, that's not new to this podcast. We've talked about how that has been, you know, that would be just massive, massive for, for, uh, for the team. So it will be, uh, you know, it's really as interesting to watch as, as, as any name in the portal right now. Um, you mentioned Will Richard. I, I just think Will Richard is, I just, I think his, I, well, and again, he can change this, but currently I think that he's, he's a high level role player at the SEC level. Um, I know I've expressed my, like, w- 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 there's some people that were really high on him um, from an NBA draft standpoint entering the season. I didn't totally see it. Um, and I would say that I still don't totally see it, but I think the thing with, with him is always like, even if you, if you, if he is going to be an NBA player, um, it's again going to be as a role player, which is totally fine. There's, you know, 50, 50 guys that aren't role players in the NBA and the rest are role players. So that's, that's not putting them down by any, any stretch. But I, this, this UCF game was um, another example of just how like Will Richard is just a barometer offensively for how the Gators are doing offensively um, because he's not someone who's going to create his own shot, um, create a lot of his own offense. Um, when the offense is, 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 is going a little bit better, he gets open shots and he's shown he can hit them. But when the offense isn't working very well, which it hasn't for a lot of games, um, he just doesn't get those opportunities. So um, it's good that he's been so efficient shooting near 40% from three because sometimes, well, more than often, there hasn't been a lot of opportunities. So he's made them count when he gets them. But I, I look at a game like this and it was like, or I remember a couple of people on, on Twitter, the message boards were like, oh, like, oh man, like, you know, uh, well, Richard has really struggled and I didn't really think he struggled. Like I know his, his, his stats are not going to jump off the page. Uh, but it's just one of those things where like, I think Will Richard does what Will, Will Richard does. And uh, he does need offense to come to him and be created a little bit. Um, yep. That obviously did not happen against UCF. And he's not someone that's going to be like, Hey, we cannot create a shot. I'm going to go take over things. Not his game, not his skill set. So yeah, just that. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's interesting because again, we're talking about Will Richard, but really, when you talk about Will Richard, you're just talking about how how the offense on a whole is 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 operating. But uh, that is a that is a player that if he decided to go pro, um, I would be pretty shocked by that one. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Well said. Um, so rather than kind of do a panoptic overview of the season, um, which we will get into on later episodes, I'm sure, and there'll be plenty of time to dissect Florida's. Uh, second losing season this century. Um, same record as the last one, by the way, 16 and 17. If you need a tiebreaker, this team went to the NIT. <laughs> Billy Donovan's losing team didn't. If you need a second tiebreaker and really want to get confused, Billy Donovan's 16 and 17 team was the best team in the Kim Palm efficiency rankings to not make the NCAA tournament, um, even though they were 16 and 17. This was the worst Florida Kim Palm team this century. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on what you put your stock in, I guess. Uh, we're not going to get into all that. I know I made a scathing half on an antibiotic rant. Um, I'll call it a rant on the Patreon, although I got a lot of messages thanking me for that. And I hope it was cathartic for some people. Um, I definitely took time. I, I sat like an hour and a half on that so that I didn't record it immediately after the game. Um and just kind of had some thoughts on it. But what, what Eric and I really want to do is get into our Patreon questions. Um, so a way to thank our listeners and our Patreons for this season. Um, and we will start with kind of an interesting one that is positive in a way, Eric. Um, and I, I really loved this question, which is why I started with it instead of just going in order. Um, it's from Mark Lewis, who has been a longtime listener to our show and is a Patreon, a really great guy. Um, lives up here in the North Kakalaki area where I'm at. Um, and Mark asked, uh, what did Florida do well this season? What did Todd Golden and his staff get right that um, made them better than UGA, LSU, et cetera? I'm not being critical of your commentary, just trying to make sense of a season where Florida lost their best player, still competed with teams that they faced down the stretch. Uh, and obviously had a pretty bad offense that was limited in its capabilities. But what would you say Florida did well? Good question, Mark. Yeah, I think uh, the broad um, broad statement would be would be defense. Um, to be a little bit more precise, one thing I thought the Gators did um, really well was 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 guard the pick and roll, um, and that's something that I I think that. Uh, 
of course was an issue and and it's 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 not really fair to say like oh well look at this like previous staff and 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 look at this you know new era and 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 see what's different but um it it was it's because it's it was such a different roster it's such a different it, it wasn't like they this was the same staff showing, you know, improvement in that area. But anyways, point being um, defending the pick and roll is a very key part of, of basketball these days. And um, I thought that they defended the pick and roll um, quite well throughout the season. Yes. There was like one the game that sticks in my mind that they got really taken advantage of was against Florida Atlantic. Who's a sweet 16 team uh, that the Gators paid to come to Gainesville. Um, unfortunately, um, which was, again, I'll remind people, not the current staff's uh, uh, doing um, there. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I just generally speaking, I think that they guarded the pick and roll well, which is uh, that pretty much, you know, one of the basis is for, um, for a really good defense. And then, of course, the other thing I think that they did really well defensively was, was uh, ran people off the line. I think that they – well, it's still kind of changing because basketball is still going on. But I think the Gators were like 15th in the country in – fewest three-pointers attempts against. And uh, that was something that um, was definitely expecting uh, from that, that Golden did at San Francisco to bring to Florida. And I thought that that was, uh, that was something that they did um, really well. And, and uh, did it cost them in, in, in some areas defensively earlier in the season? Yes. But then I think that it was one of those things that uh, uh, once they kind of tightened up some of their rotations that the end product was really good. So I would say guarding the pick and roll and guarding the three point line um, were two things that this team did really well. Yeah. I loved that. Um, so I was going to say, take care of the basketball just to, I could repeat what Eric said and that would be boring. Um, I thought Florida's, ability to take care of the basketball offensively stops what could have really been some serious bleeding. Um, they were 15th in uh, non-steal turnover percentage. So that's pretty darn good. It's a testament to Kyle Lofton. Look, you can talk about Kyle's limitations. You could make the argument that maybe Florida should have gone with Moza Gibson or somebody else at that spot. Um, but, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing. I think Yeah, it's a lot like, some of the arguments I've heard about Mike White's first season on Twitter recently and, and the squad that Mike inherited, you know, I think Chris Chiosa became like an honor, an all American um, as soon as Mike White inherited him and not like four years later when he was a senior, Eric, um, you know, and that's just one example. And I'm not knocking those people. I'm just saying we do get caught in like this moment of recency bias. And I do think at the time, a lot of programs wanted Kyle Lofton. He had a pretty spectacular list of programs and suitors that were interested in him. Um, but he ended up being kind of what we thought he might be. He wasn't particularly, you know, and Eric and I got some things wrong, I think, but I think we got Kyle Lofton pretty right. Honestly, like he wasn't uh, a spec. What? I, I, I so the, so the one thing I'll say, I'm going to tweet these out probably tomorrow as in, as in Tuesday, the, 21st um so this is probably when a lot of people <coughs> listen to this podcast anyways um nice. but i was revisiting my preseason um projections um that of course i do i've done the last three years um or yeah started with tyree appleby and and anthony deruji did it last year and, and then of course did it for these guys and uh you know i was not right on everyone so I, again i'll tweet these out you'll see them um but you know i i had 5.2 points for will richard in 19 minutes per game, he played, you know, 28 minutes a game and was at over 10 minutes per game. Um, but uh, this is, this was my projected points for Kyle Lofton, 8.7 points per game. What did Kyle Lofton finish with? 8.7 points per game. Um, I had him with 3.9 assists per game. He finished with 3.5. I had him at 3.1 rebounds per game. He finished with 3.1 rebounds per game. So um, yeah, I will say that that was one that I was yeah. able to nail, you know, pretty well and and that was one where it's like man this guy has played like more minutes of college basketball than like almost anyone ever like the sample size coming in was so massive like you know i when when it comes to predicting the the impact of transfers i've never had an easier job than Kyle Lofton. And is that, of course, something I can say now that I know that, you know, <laughs> the end, may, maybe that's just me talking that now that I've seen the results and see that I was able to predict it pretty well, that it's like, oh, of course I knew that. And, and you know, someone can can call me out for doing that. But again, I just think when someone has played in a good league that many minutes, that is the easiest kind of player to project. 
when it comes to the current guys that Florida are going after in the portal and you see some guys that are just putting up ridiculous numbers in in, in low major leagues, like, yeah, those are the tough ones to try to predict. Uh, Kyle Lofton was truly exactly uh, exactly what we expected, I think, and um, which, again, was serviceable, um, but uh, someone that was not going to raise the ceiling of, of a good program, um, I don't think. Right. Here's what I wrote at Saturday Down South. Kyle Lofton will be a steady floor general who will take care of the basketball. If Florida can take care of the basketball and figure out ways to score outside of Colin Castleton, the team will have a good chance to be a low mistake, high efficiency offense, but that relies on other scores because Lofton himself is not a scorer. If he shoots 30% from three, that would be a career best. I don't see his effective field goal percentage anywhere above 45 either Lofton's effective field goal percentage. That's the end of the quote. His effective field goal percentage was 46%. So I was mm. wrong. It was what it was 1% better than I thought he shot 28.8% from deep. So I was spot on on the three point thing. And then, you know, whatever you can make the most of my two sentence analysis from that article there, but Florida obviously did not find much offense to supplement him around Colin Castleton uh, until very late in the year when Colin Castleton was already out. So Kyle Lofton is one guy I think we nailed. And I think we've identified three things that this staff did quite well. Yeah, no, that's what it, I, I better let you uh, get the first answer on, on the next question here before I keep, before I keep taking all the, the low hanging fruit. <clears throat> no, I loved it. Um, so we are going to move on. We've got one, uh, from uh, Malik Grady posted this interesting question from Wolverines quarter on Twitter. What is the best way to win in college basketball these days? Is it recruit lower ranked players who want to stay four years? Is it hit the portal hard every season recruit one and dones master NIL generally curious about this uh, Malik. Look, I mean, I think you can do it a bunch of it. You could be a continuity program like say Virginia, um, They've won a national title being a continuity program. They also have lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament quite a bit. Um, you can debate whether or not that's because they're a continuity program. I don't really think that has much to do with it. But um, I think the best way, honestly, is to be a little of both. I think you have to recruit. If you can get some high-level recruits, good. Um, and then I think you have to, to be good at both assessing your needs and then identifying that in the portal. Um, you know, the collection of mid-majors has not really overwhelmed me anywhere. I can't think of like a program that has a power six program that's imported a bunch of mid-major guys and then taken off, right? Like I feel like there's always some high-level players that transfer somewhere, even if it's like a Ricky Council who played like at a good mid-major. Um you know, I feel like that's kind of – is he the one that's from Wichita? I might even have the, the schools wrong, so yeah, I shouldn't Ricky use Council, Ricky yeah. 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 Wichita. I shouldn't even – okay. So, like, you know, uh, Musselman is probably the best example of, of that. And even his, like, blend this year where he had, like, gone hit the portal hard almost exclusively at Nevada and early in the Arkansas tenure. And, like, this year he blended, and now they're, like – in the NCAA tournament and he's given up on Nick Smith. Like the only freshman that's playing is uh, Walsh, you know, substantive minutes. So that's kind of fascinating. Um, I'm interested in hearing Eric's thoughts, but my general inclination is to say some sort of combination of the portal and, and recruiting. So the one, the one semantic um, question I would have is, is like what he says is the, like the question was, how do you win? Um, again, does that mean like win a championship or like be, you know, a second weekend team? Uh, because I do think that if you like, if you're going to win championship, you need NBA talent. And the fact of the matter is NBA talent is not, um, something you acquire in the transfer portal. Um, I, and again, I think if you're looking, just go look at the last several years of teams that have made the final four, um, or won championships, um, and they've all had NBA talent and pretty much almost like almost all those guys were, were high school recruits. So, uh, because again, there's, you're just, you're, that's the, you're, you're not getting a lottery pick from a mid-major that is grad transferring. Um, so I think again, when you look at like, who are the, like the two teams that, that people are, you know, looking to like, think that 
that think are going to win are probably the favorites to win right now. We're like Houston. It's like, well, Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shedd and Jarris Walker. Like these are guys that were high school recruits. Um, Alabama, of course, has Brandon Miller um, and then a bunch of other guys. But I will say this. I, I think so. Okay, here's my there, this is a broad statement that I think we could have a very long conversation about. Probably not now, but another time. Like the most valuable transfer is like the Javon Quinterly transfer, who was like a very highly rated recruit, didn't work out at his first stop and transferred immediately. And then Alabama has had him for multiple years. Um, I, I think that those are the guys that is like, again, that's that's the only way you're going to get like really, really, really high level talent. And and like that, like through the transfer portal, because, again, I just think that uh I, I've shown it through the projections I've had for guys that people have been pretty excited coming through the portal from the mid-major ranks. Like some of those guys really pop. Most don't. Most are just good, solid players. And that's a great outcome for, for a lot of guys. So I, uh, I think that those are going to be pl- like, and again, like, let's look at it. Like Will Richard is a player that like now is probably unlikely to transfer because he probably doesn't want to sit out another year. So now the Gators are going to have him for multiple seasons. And I think that that's going to be a very, very good piece. So I think that that's going to be the style of transfer that is going to start to really win in, in college basketball soon. And I think we're seeing it right now with like, yeah, like I said, Javon Quinterly, that's just the first guy that that came to mind. But if you can get a guy after a year or two that that'll transfer, that looks like a player or like a Will Richard. um, I think those guys are going to be much more impactful in their upperclassmen years than like the low major guard who's, six foot tall in shoes um, who averaged, you know, 17 or 18 points a game in a, in a low major league. So um, yeah, I, I, I still do think that high school recruiting is, is going to be very important. And I think bringing in young players through the transfer portal is going to be important. And I think that graduate transfers and older transfers have been overrated in, in, in recent years. Um, I think the question like for, you know, Florida staff, um, like say they go after, you know, these younger transfers, like let's call them the Will Richard transfer, someone who played one year and was really good. Uh, like say Florida goes and gets a few, a few of those guys this, this off season. Um, yeah, maybe they'd be good down the line. Like I would project, but are they going to, you know, is Florida going to be able to win enough in the short term to, you know, stick around long enough for, for the, those guys to, you know, start hopefully competing for final four. Like that'll be interesting to see. Um, And then when it comes to, like you mentioned the NIL piece, like that has to be there. Like that just doesn't matter if it's transfers, high school recruiting, like uh, you you know, any, any team's going to have to be competitive from an NIL standpoint. You don't necessarily have to be um, the highest bidder um, for sure. But I I think that you can certainly get, get left in the dust if you cannot um, at least be competitive in the NIL space. So um, I think that like, the, and I don't know the root of the, the question, if that was like, a, oh, do you go the Miami route of just, you know, openly buying, I, I don't want to say opening by buying players. That was very like Jim Beheim, but I don't even, but I said it without even negative connotations, um, you know, like, but like that could certainly work too. Um, just go out and get the, if Florida wants to just like put all their money into getting the one or two best players they, they can. Um, that's probably going to work in some capacity too. So NIL is going to always be there, but um, I, 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 yeah, to summarize my, my long rant, older, you know, graduate transfers from mid and low majors overrated um, in my opinion, still good players, but those are the guys that I would call floor raisers, but not ceiling raisers. And I think if you want your ceiling raised, if you want to compete for a second weekend, you want to compete for a national championship, you need NBA level talent. And that comes from, high school recruiting or it comes from you know being a being the the, the second chance um for a guy who doesn't who who's goes somewhere for one year doesn't work out and, and then transfers to your program i think that's a great response i will add two things briefly to it um one is i do think in because i think the blend is still like would be my preferred path look at uconn like they're a great example of this at least i think and they can help my second point which is i would prefer multi-year transfers guys who can stay that become part of your culture and your program um i'm not going to get into that development talk because like i really don't think that people understand how little college coaches have to do with development i think there's just some sort of mythology around oh man you know drew timmy has really developed gonzaga and it's like drew timmy works really hard in the gym in the off season with private coaches and people that 
care about him. And so when he gets back to Gonzaga in their limited practice time that's allotted by the NCAA, he becomes a better player. Um, and that's just one example. But I don't think people really understand that, that aren't necessarily involved in the industry. And I know that's something I think Eric's talked about before. So that would be point one. Less of the development chatter and more of continuity. Are they in the program? Do they understand your culture? Um, and then secondly, I like power six transfers. I don't even care if they're big stars. This is where my UConn point, I think, is a reasonably effective one. Um, they played nine guys in their curb stomping of St. Mary's uh, the other night. Those nine guys were guys they recruited, Adama Sanago, uh, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson. Then they were guys that either were stars, which Eric just mentioned, at previous destinations – because uh, you can get a star or somebody that didn't work out. So, like, if you have a star like Tristan Newton, great. East Carolina, stud, clearly was going to be a great player at the mid-major level, was ready to go to power six level. Um, or you can be a contributing player who helps. And then they went and got Nahim Ali and Hassan Diara, who were, like, by no means star players at power six schools. But guess what? They were floor raisers who on a team full of NBA players, those guys are nice when you can bring them off the bench. Hey, Naheem Aline, give me 20 minutes against St. Mary's. Go out there and guard them a little bit. Get in their face. Annoy them with your athleticism and your toughness. Like St. Mary's wanted no part of that guy by the middle of the second half. Uh, and those are the kinds of guys I want. So, like, people have been asking me recently, Hey, what do you make of this portal list? And like every time I see Northwestern State or something like that, with all due respect to those programs, I grimace a little bit. I'm like, can we just wait until I know who's transferring from like Oregon? And I hate to say that, but that's just kind of one little thing that that like I think also, Eric. So I'll say here's here's one thing. So has Alex Fudge and how his season has gone changed your opinion at at, at all about that? Because I think that uh, that would be. Uh, and again, it's not like his 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 time at Florida is finished, so it's not like that 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 book is completely done. Um, but uh, how does how does that change your your opinion? And and uh, what if it's like a low major guy who's productive with with multiple years, like not the true like again, let's go back a couple of years when it would have been Northwestern State, you know, guy who played four years and 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 redshirted one of them and now he's got a grad transfer year the average is 17 points and five assists per game like i, I that's the that's the prototypical what if it's a guy that's you know has two years left to play and he's you know putting up those kinds of numbers is that still something that you're just like uh let me see who's uh who's leaving oregon or where you at with with that well hey i mean again if it's tristan newton and he's played at east carolina three years and he is in the top 20 in the country and total shot, total shooting percentage. And like, you know, I know he can, he's just a walking bucket, you know? Yeah. Give me that guy. You give me Tyree Appleby from Cleveland state. Right. Um, so I'm not adverse to them, but I want mid-major stars, I guess is what I'm saying. Or I want, you know, yeah, I want an Alex fudge. Like, yeah, he played four or five minutes a game for Will Wade. Like he showed flashes of why everybody loves him this season. And that's my point about continuity players. Like, I mean, when you get an Alex Fudge, obviously he has visions and fantasies about the NBA because he's heard how talented he is from a pure talent standpoint since he was 15. Right. But, you know, I can't control whether Alex knows that he doesn't belong in the NBA or the G league yet. Um, but if I'm a coach, I take that chance every now and then. Sure. No, that's, that's totally fair. And it's like, if, if, if someone was like, like one of the things, like if, if someone was looking for optimism um, for next year, before we know any of the transfers that are getting brought in, if someone was thinking about like, Oh, why could would next year, hypothetically, like why, why could things get a whole lot better? I think you could look to the possibility of um, Alex Fudge, who was, I will say a negative player this year. I don't know what you would say about that. Like, again, I'm not trying to like, and I put a lot of that on the concussion. I agree. Because he was playing good basketball, had the concussion, and then was for sure negative after that. Yeah. I just think the question was, was he negative at first? Then he played a, real, a stretch of really good basketball, and then there was a concussion or whatever it was. He was not super impactful on the whole. 
and that's a guy who was like, uh, well, I forget if he was a five star or borderline five. I think he was a five star that they got downgraded in the last um, kind of, you know, whatever, whatever it was like a top 50 kid. Like he was someone who didn't really contribute much this year um, that like, if you're looking for someone who has the potential to, you know, explode, it would be the guy who does have that kind of NBA pedigree. Um, even though he has not yet shown it in two years of, of, of college basketball. But, um, and again, I, the other thing I was going to, you know, point out when you were talking about like the Tyree Appleby at Cleveland state and, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, East Carolina, um, yeah, not low major leagues. Again, that Cleveland state team Tyree Appleby was on, um, was not very good. Um, but that was a pretty good year. The two years he was there for the horizon, which has been, you know, an average to right. recent mid major yep. league. Um, and then, you know, East Carolina, um, has been at the basement of their league historically. Um, so you could, but you know, a basement of a, you know, good league. So again, yeah. that's, uh, that's not your, you know, insert, I don't want to say any names here, <laughs> insert tiny conference at, uh, you know, that's going to rate, you know, somewhere between 26 and 32 in, in Ken Palm's conference rate ratings or someone on a team that's, you know, lower than 300 in Ken Palm or whatever you want to say for that. So, and again, like, and I, and I just say that because there are some, some definite studs in the portal um, this year that are guys that put up massive numbers um, in, in uh, some pretty bad leagues on some um, not very good programs. It'll be very interesting to see um, where those guys, I, I, I mean, I'll be watching them whether they come to Florida or not just to see again for, you know, future you use it as a, as a bit of data and sample for for the future of 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 when these kids are going to be kind of recruited what's what the kind of expectation will be but uh yeah i i i would be in agreement with you just generally if the, if the gators can go after some players for, that are younger from from better mid-major leagues that would be uh that'd be a good good way to go yeah i mean look at my miami grabbed the sunbelt defensive player of the year and um I think he had like 3,409 rebounds yesterday against Indiana. No official number on that. But, mm-hmm. um, he's 6'7". So, like, <laughs> you know, like the dude could just play, right? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Northwestern State. That might have been a random uh, pool by me. I guess they did have the Southland Player of the Year, who it appears is in the transfer portal. Um, you know, I'll have to watch film before I make Northwestern State jokes, I guess. But – I'll stand by my point. Anyway, that was an interesting question. Uh, Michael Pusatera asks, what kind of analytics is the staff using? Is there anything they're not using, which you would feel would lead to more success? I, I mean, just a difficult, um, difficult question to answer. Um, yeah, it's a tough not, one. Not knowing exactly what they like. That's, you know, that's up to them. But like, um, I'll, I'll just say this. Like, again, I, I don't really want to comment on, on what the staff like, cause I just don't know what the, what they are using or what they aren't. I'll say the yep. one thing that they are using is, is they've got their own internal metric to evaluate players. And, um, I, I don't know if I, I don't want to misquote them from what they talked about before the season, whether it's, you know, who, who plays or how much they play. But, um, I would say the biggest thing that they would probably use if I had to guess would be that they are using, um, you know, their, their own internal in-house way of evaluating players and, and grading out uh, possessions, um, in terms of what they should be doing, I, I'll say one more comment on 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 Kyle Lofton, um, and that that'll that uh, and general transfers, and that'll be it unless more questions come. But like, you know, like of course the staff is is professed to be you know very into analytics, not uh, breaking any new ground there. You know, Kyle Lofton was a guy who struggled to finish at the rim. He couldn't shoot the three like it's it, it was like it was the exact opposite of an analytics take so that's just the one thing i'm not i, I don't want to comment on what the staff is using but versus what they should be using but like to, to see a take like kyle often and again we don't know exactly who who truly they could have taken him over but we have our theories um like I would, I like that, that take to shock. And I've been, I've, you know, told a few people that have asked me about that, about like the staff's use of analytics and with the transfers. And I'm like, well, I'll say this, like is as much as people might think that they're like uh, um, uh, someone or, or a group of people that just is, is beholden to the numbers are going to do exactly what the numbers say. It's like, well, they took Kyle Lofton and that was a pure like vibes play. That was a pure, like, Hey, we think he's got this, this veteran mojo and, and savvy. And uh, you know, that it was a very not analytics thing to do. Um, but I will say this, you know, there's other guys that they were after that I, I preferred and I talked about on this podcast and, uh, 
that was just one of those things that like in, in speaking of 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 what the staff should be looking for again with with guards um you need someone who can who can shoot off the bounce you need someone who can shoot off movement you need someone who's able to finish at the rim and finish in the paint um you know big guys you need them to be able like you need them to be able to to, to finish in the paint um some of the numbers that i think are historically used and i don't know if they use them but you I, I shouldn't talk again. I'm just, I'd, I'd be speculating on, on what the, the, the staff uses, but uh, yeah, that's my, that's my long winded answer, Neil. I love it. I'm going to do the next question. Um, how many centers or power forwards do you think will likely take? I'm not sure if Alex Condon can make an impact immediately. So I would assume we are taking more than one Cal Johnston. Uh, good question, Cal. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on Alex. I think, you know, um, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, Florida targeted a big that St. Mary's, a team in the round of 32, coveted. I think that's good. Um, you know, I'm, anybody in an NBA development academy, I'm I'm feeling okay about the prep coaching they're getting, <laughs> um, quite honestly. So, you know, good for them. Um, but I think Florida will take two to three. And I really think, at least one of them will be a real high ceiling guy. Um, and then, you know, we'll see, we'll see what Florida does. I know they've, I've seen some of the targets already. Uh, the kid, uh, E.J. Jarvis from Yale, I think is a, an undersized forward who can really rebound. Um, you know, I don't care if you're, I just mentioned Norchad Omie, like, I don't care if you're six, seven, if you average, 6.9 rebounds a game, right? Like that tells me that you get in good position. I mean, we saw Jason Jatobo almost single-handedly blow a nine two lead in the NIT with like turnovers and bad box outs. So like, you know, God bless Jason. I know he plays hard, but uh, yeah, I mean, you guys get my point. <laughs> um, so I think Florida will take two or three and their early target list kind of reflects that Eric. Uh, I mean, we saw that the Gators wanted desperately to have one more center than they did um, really with how they were going after guys in, in the portal. And again, it was just such a tough sell to get anyone to, that was a good center to come to a team that already had Castleton. So um, tough situation for sure. But I would say that the Gators were, you know, at least one front court player short this year. Um, I, you could very well argue too. Um, who knows if CJ Walker's returning, if he's going to be totally healthy, what, what that is. Um, but like you could easily say, okay, the Gators are going to be down. Like they were, they were, they already needed two more this year. Well, Con Castle's gone, Jason Jacobo's gone. Um, so you know, that's you. You can argue as much as like they need four more front court players, or or that they will because of of or like four or five overall. Um, factoring in the two of those guys are high school guys. Well, yeah, two or three sounds likely in addition to the two high school guys they have coming in. Um, I think that's a, an area where they're, you know, going to definitely look to get multiple bodies. Um, if the, if the over under was, you know, two and a half, I, I, I might take, take the over there. Um, in addition to, to the high school. Me players too. That... Me too. Yep. I think it's going to be two. I think it's going to be three. Like I, I mentioned, um, Stephen Coffer during your podcast, your discussions of coach golden are even handed. Thank you. Uh, in the heat of the moment, your postgame shows, the discussions of Golden are how, how I say more Frank. Okay. Um, from this listener's perspective, they seem more candid. Now with the regular seniors behind us, what are your assessments of Todd Golden? Not the team, but him as a head coach of the SEC. What are your thoughts on the offenses he ran, defense, player rotations, use of analytics, et cetera? Thanks, Bull Gator. Steven, man, uh, there's a lot in that. That's probably a whole podcast of questions. Um, and I'm not trying to give a non-response, I promise. I, look, I think there are things Todd needs to improve upon. And one thing we haven't talked about is timeout usage. And I think we saw like another example. Like Eric did a really nice story on this in the Mike White era. And it was funny because like I'm not saying that the Mike White staff like low key listened to Eric Fawcett and then didn't tell him that they listened to him. But it was weird how like Florida went from like 199th in post timeout offense to like in the top 50. Like after Eric Fawcett wrote an article like two years before White departed about how Florida squanders their timeouts and doesn't really use them properly. 
And like Florida got so much better at it when they thought about it. Um, and then it continued at Georgia, like their post timeout offense this season, according to um, synergy was excellent. So like, man, uh, I'd like to see Todd golden use his timeouts better. Like, I don't think UCF should get to go on a 24 to five run in the NIT without Todd, like taking a timeout in the middle of the run to calm things down. Um or just to talk to his team, or if for no other reason than like, you know, Bob Ricci told me at a coaching clinic, like the reason he'll call a timeout in a huge run is it because he has some magical adjustment up his sleeve. <laughs> it's just to keep the other team off the floor for a couple of minutes, you know? Um, and that was the most candid, like refreshing and albeit like s- totally sensible explanation I've ever gotten. So like, that's one area where I think Todd can improve. He's 37. I mean, this team competed. They played what eight games within five points or less. They lost seven of them. Um, you know, their luck rating was 330th. So I'm not like, and if I've come across on Twitter, I'm not going to apologize because I really don't think I have, but if apparently there's this sense that I'm really hard on him and I'm not trying to be, I think they've done some things poorly and there's some things they need to improve. But a couple of the biggest ones for me are, uh, timeout usage. And then I don't think Kevin Hubday had a very good year. If he is in fact the offensive coordinator. Yeah, there's, that's going to be nothing, um, nothing new to people who listen, or of course, to our, our lovely Patreon um, subscribers. So um, that's, you know, that's not gonna be surprised to hear that. I, I just think that the offense was, um, was, was really poor in the half court. And again, I'll just, I've said it before. I'll say it again, uh, just to recap. But I, again, I, I think one, the offense that, the Gators used uh, did not fit their talent. Um, so I didn't like what they chose to use. And I also do not think they executed it well. I don't think that it was it, it, like, again, for lack of a better term, it didn't look taught very well. It did not look like um, the spacing was, was proper. The angles were proper. Um, I don't think that uh, the screening angles and the timing of sets were proper. Like I just, I, I just had, I had all kinds of issues with it. And again, um, it'd be interesting. And, and I'm sure we'll find out at some point who's for lack of a better term, responsible for it. If it really was like, I know a lot of people are um, with the, with the offensive coordinator role. That's something that um, people are putting out on, 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 on him. And, and uh, maybe that is fair. I, I don't totally know, but uh, you know, who, whoever was responsible for that offense did a poor job um, quite frankly. And, and I don't even really, well, I don't think it's debatable. There's going to be people that say that it was on the players. I would disagree. At some point, I'm going to write about why I don't think that it was on the players. Um, not to say that the Gators had a bunch of elite, elite offensive players. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't think that it was on the, the fault of the players. This team was so dreadful um, in the half court offensively. So that is something that needs to improve. It's funny. Actually, one thing that, that um, I will say Golden did well, and I will put it directly on Golden, is – Florida's after timeout offense was actually good. And I say that because of, of course, the Lee Humphrey uh, on the radio broadcast who always points out uh, with, with Todd Gold. And I mean, Neil, you've been at a bunch of games. You've, you've pointed out as well that it's him drawing up after timeout plays and the Gators have actually done well in after timeout offense. And that's one of those things that I wish that the Gators use their timeouts earlier to, um, to, yeah, to, of course to stop runs, but also sometimes get a key bucket when the Gators just could use something to go through the hoop. Um, to get their confidence up. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah, the offense was, uh, it needs major improvements. I, I think the offensive coaching would get a, a, a very poor grade um, this year, um, though after timeout offense was, was good. Um, when it comes to the use of analytics, I know everyone wants to know about that. It's, it's almost like too early to say, just because again, like I said, I think with some of the takes the Gators had, not very analytically minded. I'm not saying that, and, and again, I'm not saying that they necessarily should have been and all analytically m- motivated, but yeah, like some of the takes were, yeah, not, su- not super um, a- analytically um, based, I would say, or, or for example, like they, the, the staff mentioned that they thought Trey Bonham was so good analytically. Well, the stuff that he did so well analytically, they didn't use him for, um, they hardly used him in pick and rolls this year. So, uh, which is where he was a monster. So when in, when it comes to the analytics and again, there's, it's not like there's one analytic for players. There's a lot of ways to interpret that. So you could disagree with me saying that's what he did well analytically, but I'll say from my interpretation of the data, um, that is what he did at a very high level and wasn't really utilized there. But um, like the honestly, when it comes to 
analytics, I'm very interested to see how the Gators handle their schedule this year, something they really didn't have anything to do with this year, but now the staff will actually get to control that. Um, that'll be an opportunity. And, and again, the other thing too is like the Gators never really got to use much late game strategy because they weren't in too many close games at the end of games. So some of the times where you get to use some of those analytically minded strategies, right. they didn't really have an opportunity to do that because they were losing a lot and, and not in, in ways that had the opportunity. So yeah, I, I, I know everyone wants to say like, is the analytic stuff working, you know, at that to be determined still, which I know is not a great answer, but at the time, but that's, that's how I feel for, for the reasons I laid out. No, I think all that's really fair, Eric. Um, we're going to do one more set tonight and then we have a couple more that we can carry over into our next show, which I think will be sometime later this week. But um, I like these from Sam Weinmiller. He has three and I'm going to allow it because his dad, Steve is also a Patreon subscriber. So thank you both. Um, <clears throat> he asked a late game situational question. Steve did, uh, which I love. And, and I'm, I'm intrigued enough by it to revisit. What did you guys think of the decision not to foul Tolu Smith at the end of OT in the Miss State, uh, or at the end of the game in the Miss State SEC tournament game? It seemed like a situation when analytics would suggest, suggest maybe intentionally fouling a 57% free throw shooter. So the end of the game where there was like, I'm trying to remember the, the situation exactly. There was what, like 15? So Florida scored and there was 10.2 seconds left. Yeah, I just I the way that they I'm just again I could be wrong. Just remembering um, them coming off the floor, we talked about this. You know, uh, Myron Jones is guarding the ball, maybe gives up a, a step at first, but recovers pretty well. And then the drop, like that's the play we're talking about. To, then he drops it off. Tolu Smith has that that layup to go ahead where we yeah they, Alex they get... yeah I just it's I, I again there wasn't really an opportunity to intentionally foul you know a, a, away from the ball in that in that situation. Um, if I don't know if he's saying like, oh, the moment the ball got to Tolu Smith should have been just like yeah. whacked across the arms. I think if 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 Fudge or whoever Jones was in that vicinity, or I think it was Kugel who was cracking down to help the helper. Um, I think if they had the opportunity to, they would have fouled. It was just too 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 yeah. clean to do it. He he got too clean of a look. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, the idea of of fouling players that are that poor free throw shooters. I'm more looking at the the concept of. Um, when what and again I, I don't remember what the fouls were at but um earlier in that half would there have been a one and one opportunity to make him shoot um you know a la paul mills and Roberts making yeah. osai sifo you know shoot free throws in the one and one like that's what i'd be looking more at the opportunity can like could you um when, when it'd be a good time to foul foul Tolu smith that last play i don't think there was a great opportunity to do so right. and 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 up one i'm probably not trying to trying to gamble with with an intentional foul even though there's people who would argue that um they certainly should and again actually it would be like knowing maybe he knows and and i don't i don't remember if it was the one and one in that situation which maybe would have made it interesting but yeah again i i um, I don't really think there was a time to foul him in a non-shooting way um, that would put him to the line in the one and one. And I think someone would have fouled him if they had the opportunity, but he got such a clean look on that drop off to score. Yeah. Sorry. I was just confirming that it was the double bonus and it was, so I don't really have anything to add there. Uh, yeah. I think you're looking more at the Paul Mills, Osio Sifo situations when you get to do that. And, you know, I think Todd Golden will, will do that in the future if he's given the opportunity. I think you'll see something that that will raise an eyebrow or be particularly interesting. Sam's uh, second question was, a lot of disappointment about the Florida offense this year. I thought you guys did a nice job breaking that down. Thank you. What offensive systems do you two generally consider the most exciting or effective? Uh, can you mention some teams that run those systems well or beautifully? Can we just pluck an offensive system from another team and install it for the Gators? If we could, what teams would be on your short list? Well, I'll start and say uh, Miami. There's a wonderful uh, coaching DVD out there of the uh, the four-out, one-in Jim Laren Hanga motion offense. Uh, it sure is nice if you can get enough guys who can shoot on your team and then get kind of a boss underneath that can rebound and I don't know. I mean, Omi actually scored better than I thought. Uh, and then they have kind of like that jack of all trades, like Niles Lane on steroids guy, uh, Jordan Miller, um, who does like 
everything and like you know certainly is like the all-star version that of niles lane that everyone thinks i think that lane actually is um you know but jordan miller is like the closest college player to reminding me of Corey brewer in a long time um just because he's so good like he's so fundamentally decent at everything there's nothing that he's bad at uh and he's also like an insanely good defender but anyway that offense i think is beautiful. Um, that sort of four out one in uh, offense. They they run sets. They have a lot of read and react like motion principles in it, but it's not really per se a motion offense. They um, incorporate incorporate a lot of back cuts uh, as well, um, especially with uh, Wuga Poplar, who they like to have back cut, um, and with Jordan Miller, they also you know aren't afraid to throw a second guy in the post. If it's uh, an Anthony Walker type set pin downs for Poplar, who's a about a 44% three point shooter. So Miami's offense is kind of one that is still playing that you could watch Thursday. Uh, that would be one that I really like. Yeah. I mean, until we know what Florida's roster is going to look like, um, like we don't really know who's going to play point guard. We don't know who they're going to have at center. Yeah. This um, was a totally becomes... hypothetical answer, Eric. I, yeah. I'm no, just, no. It's... Yeah. Well, and and if you had to say like, uh, what is one offense that's you know inherently good? I guess is like um, that's not a bad one to go with because everyone is running that five out right now with pin down into dribble handoff at the top. Like so, like uh, Miami's been so good at that. Um, there's been a lot of teams running that, um, but I think looking at, at at offenses that I you know currently like that again, I'll save the teams that are in the tournament just because I feel like. To, if, for people to actually have something to to watch because he was asking for 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 teams that that run it. Um well, actually one I was gonna about to say like they they unfortunately lost, but one of the offenses I think was like actually truly unique where a lot of people are running the same stuff these days is like uh Marquette's like pistol chase kind of side ball screen offense was really really interesting this year and they had a lot of success with it in the league. Um and even again I thought they were successful with it even in in, in the loss but I thought that was really interesting. Um but uh I, I think the one of the, the probably the team that I've enjoyed the most this year um watching is 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 Yukon and again I I their use of staggers away from the ball to set up like everything like they'll use staggers on the weak side just to occupy three defenders and turn it into a flex screen duck in for one of their big guys or they'll get a guard coming off the stagger who's then going to catch and immediately can just flow into a ball screen but it just it just puts so many so many like defensive players in into motion. Um, I think that that is, you know, very successful. And Hey, if you want to see something closer to a continuity ball screen, like the Gators ran this year, that was not very effective. Like Gonzaga is the team that has historically ran that the best. And I think there's a reason why Todd Golden and some of his guys are probably really partial to that because they played in a league with Gonzaga who ran it really, really well. Um, but they had by far and away the best players in, you know, what is a, really good low major or sorry, mid major league um, with a, you know, couple, couple high major ish teams at the top. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's why I'm sure. Um, sure. There was some, some reason why they like it. They probably see Gonzaga run really well. So if you want to see that run really well, um, Gonzaga is, is one of those things. And like, in terms of like, can you just like take an offense and, and, and pluck it from another team and use it? Hell yeah. Like, um, and I think a lot of really good coaches have done it. I thought UConn's offense has been terrible the last several years and they've completely changed it and, and have been awesome. Like I said, one of my favorite teams to watch um, this last season. So, um, and I don't, I don't know exactly who they took it from. Um, I would say it looks very like, it looks like what a lot of, you know, Euro league teams and, or like Liga ACB teams in Spain are, are running. So I don't know if they have a guy on staff who's into that level of basketball, but uh, no, there's certainly nothing stopping you from seeing all this beautiful offense that is played in the universe of basketball and, and taking it and, and completely adapting it to your own team. Yeah, no, that was a, uh, that was a fun question. I appreciate that. And then mm -hmm. lastly, um, Sam asked, uh, what player archetypes do you imagine Golden and the staff targeting in the portal this offseason? Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, likely transfers who might fit those archetypes. We'll wait on that second part of the question until, like, we get a better view of the portal. I mean, there's so many names in it right now. But you can already see a little bit that, like, one thing Todd Golden wants to do is rebound. Um, his San Francisco teams were really good on the glass. Um, now they also played with two bigs quite a bit. 
uh, as Eric and I kind of talked about before the season. Um, but I think, you know, like Eric said, and I said earlier, I think three bigs is probably correct when you look at what Florida's going to try to bring in. And, and Florida certainly appears uh, very serious and committed to competing on the glass, which schematically they could not do this year on the offensive glass in particular um, because they needed to set up their defense um, and were really struggling when they did set bodies forward early in the season. Yeah, I, I think that just looking off what they were looking for um, last year, like I really do think that like Janai Broom would be the, the like if we're looking for archetypes of players, um, someone like that who's um, you could probably are skilled enough to play two of them together at, at, at the same time, but have enough size to kind of hang with some of the bigger centers in, in the SEC. Like I think they want if like if they're looking for like what is the archetype of, of, a, of a center that would kind of work in that system, I think that would be. Or, or that that Golden's looking for, I'd say it's probably that. And and you know, I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of course correction from like savvy um, point guard of Kyle Lofton who doesn't bring a lot of juice offensively to like going after some like electric guards because that's what he had at San Francisco. So um, I I just would wonder if if that's going to be kind of the the style of player um, they're going to go at a, a little more at the guard position, but, um, yeah, I, I do think it'll be, uh, I, I, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll just, yeah, if you had to say, say a player archetype, I'm not yet. Yeah, yeah. Again, we won't say anyone that's, that's in the portal. We don't know, but definitely some more, I think they're looking for some, some shot making juice, some shot creation, and then yeah, some more bulk on the inside. Um, we had one from Neil Lammers real quickly, but before we get to that final question, I will remind people that Gatorverse is the exclusive podcast sponsor of the Florida Basketball Hour, brought to you by the Gatorverse. Gatorverse is an exclusive community dedicated to connecting UF fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards. While athletes receive a majority of the revenue from sales of their collectibles, that money goes right in the athlete's pocket, just the way NIL was intended to work. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member, and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. Uh, I love Neil Lammer's question about, um, you know, what do you guys think about some potential destinations for Florida's three guys in the portal? Jason Totobo, Niles Lane, and Kowasi Reeves. Um, I don't think I've seen a list for anybody that's contacted Reeves or Totobo yet. I did see Niles Lane's a preliminary risk at Scott stock risers, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, so anybody that's interested in that, we have uh, Miami FAU um, Utah um, Jacksonville. Um, I'm sure everyone is totally stunned by Jacksonville uh, Seton hall and Yukon. Yeah, I would say that if I had to guess, I would say Quasi Reeves um, is goes high major, um, probably at like a middle to like bottom third type uh, of kind of caliber um, high major team. I think that Niles Lane is like going to go like a ten or maybe to a good American team. I think kind of that level. Yeah. And I would say Jason yep. Jatobo is going to go to like the SOCON where every team has like a seven footer. And like, um, I don't like, again, and I, I have not seen this. I've not seen a single list for Jason Jatobo, but like, you know, from Chattanooga or not from Chattanooga played high school basketball in Chattanooga. Like that just, see, that would seem like a, a fit um, to me. So yeah, I would say like, and, and again, like it's, it's so hard these days to know, what teams are just reaching out to guys and what are like, you know, real, real, what's, what's real interest and what's not. Um, so it's certainly possible that like Lane could go high major. Um, I just think that um, he might be looking for after the years he's had at Florida might be looking for more of a role and maybe he just goes down a little bit of a, of a, of a level. Um, so yeah, I would, those would be my, my predictions for, for guys. And uh, maybe when we start to see their finalists, we can speculate a little bit more about uh, what might be the best fit. Yeah, I did see uh, another one on Lane just looking on Twitter, um, which has at least two A-10 teams there. To Eric's point, we've got St. Bonaventure, VCU, uh, which I think that's intriguing, the way that they play. Uh, and again, Utah. So maybe there's smoke. Maybe there's fire near that smoke. Um, Miami again. 
and then Jacksonville again. So um, that one cuts out UConn, which I think is a little silly and preposterous um, and kind of gets him to where, like if he were at a power six school, like somewhere like Miami, where he could be a defensive specialist for a guy like Larinaga might make some sense. Um, I know they recruited him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, some of those names make a lot of sense. And I think he, he could slot right in and start at both those A-10 schools. Yeah, that would be like, I, I think the best, the best level for him um, probably. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like the, I, I'm far more interested in where these, like for like, for that better term, like, yeah, I'm far more interested in where these guys go than, than some guys recently. Uh, because again, it was like, Oh, Florida's, you know, whole front court is transferring to the Atlantic sun. Like, you know, great. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, these three guys um, have an opportunity to go to some, um, some better mid-major programs or, or maybe a couple of them stay high major. And that'll be uh, interesting to see for sure. It was fun to watch Tyree Appleby have such a outstanding, you know, finish to his season at Wake Forest would, uh, would love for, uh, love for these guys to all just, you know, go on to, to play really good basketball wherever they go. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. So we thank you guys for your time tonight. Um, and for listening, we'll be back with the last of the Patreon questions start our season and review process on the next podcast, maybe even dive into the portal just a little bit, kind of get our toes wet. Eric and I got to ease into this, man. There's still basketball <laughs> to play. So I'll let Eric sign us off and thanks everybody. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.